Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. We have a special treat today, not one, but two guests from arguably the most ubiquitous brand in the world, Google. Today, I am joined by Lorraine Tuhill, the Chief Marketing Officer of Google, and Marvin Chow, VP of Marketing. Google is, of course, the 24-year-old company founded by Sergey Brin and Larry Page as they were pursuing PhDs at Stanford. Google is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Alphabet, its corporate parent entity formed in 2015. Alphabet's market cap is roughly $2 trillion, making it one of the three most valuable companies in the world. My guests Lorraine and Marvin are Google veterans. Lorraine, a native of Carlow, Ireland, joined Google in 2003 as head of marketing for EMEA. Marvin joined Google about 12 years ago after spending time at Nike and a variety of startups. This is my conversation with two remarkable people. Go ahead and Google them, Lorraine Tuhill and Marvin Chow. Lorraine, Marvin, welcome to the CMO Podcast. You both have two kids. I think I'm correct on that. How do they describe what you do to their friends? So Marvin, you're having a cup of coffee. I can see that. I'm going to start with you. Oh my God. I mean, I think they just think I yell at the computer all day that that's my job (laughs) and that occasionally I make things that they see on TV. That's pretty good. I think your job's a bit richer than that. We'll get into that in a few minutes. My kids are younger than Lorraine's kids though. so. (laughs) So Lorraine, how about yours? Mine are slightly older, but I think the thing that they'd most say to their friends is that mom gets to work with YouTube and YouTube creators and gets to talk about them and meet some of them, which for them is the coolest thing ever. So I get to be cool mom. Awesome. Awesome. So do they know how cool your job is? Do you think? Do they have perspective enough? Lorraine, yours probably do. Well, I think uh, in both for both Marvin and I, you know, Google's famous for you know, free swag and t-shirts. So the fact that we bring home t-shirts and baseball caps every now and again, and and the odd thing with a dinosaur on it, like a sticker with a dinosaur on it, which is the Chrome logo, uh, gets them very excited. So I think uh, that's definitely the the fun part. I would agree. I think my kids know Google. They know that they love YouTube, obviously. So they get that part. But I would say where they kind of got a sense of my job, they came to, we have a big keynote in the the spring called Google I.O. And they came to rehearsal one time and it's in a theater that's an outdoor theater that sits maybe 8,000, 7,000 people. And I think that gave them a real scale of like, oh, what is what kind of production value is happening here? And so I think that was a fun moment for them to come and see that. Well, I think my history, I, by the way, I have some nice Google swag from my days at PNG. I still wear my YouTube three-quarter zip for my workouts. So, so thank you for that. So um, I think my history with Google actually might predate both of you. I became PNG's CMO in 2001. So Google was four years old at the time. And we did something very interesting back in the mid-2000s. We knew we were both important for each other's future, but we did not understand each other or the cultures. 
So we did an employee swap, and not just for a few days, for a month. So we sent PNG people to Google, Google sent PNG, uh, Google people to PNG. And I was having a coffee in Cincinnati just a few weeks ago, and I ran into a guy who was on that exchange. And I said to him, wow, and he works for uh, Volta Charging now, a charging kind of station company. And I said, is there anything from that experience that you have carried forward to this day? And actually, he rattled off, in PNG fashion, by the way, three things. And the first one was the power of immersion into another's life in building trust. Second one was, and by the way, this one was new at the time, the wisdom of the crowds getting the consumer involved in your decision-making, A-B testing, and, all, and the like, which back then for PNG was a bit of a novel concept. And the third one was the importance of the zero moment of truth. PNG at the time, and, and they still do, talk about the two moments of truth, when the consumer chooses and when the consumer uses. And this idea of, oh my gosh, there's a, a zero moment of truth, and Google's all about that, that's pretty cool. So I want you to both reflect a little bit on those three pieces of learning, which were coming out of, I think, a, a pretty, uh, actually that, that employee exchange became big news. The Wall Street Journal put it on the front page. But I think it was a step in both organizations getting to know each other better. So just your reaction to those lessons. And Lorraine, why don't we start with you and then move to Marvin? Well, I, the second one resonates probably the most with me, Jim. We've always been a company that focuses on the user. It's a big part of who, who we are. It's in, really in our DNA. And I think uh, a lot of it's to do with the fact that we're very product first, product and engineering led as a culture, which makes us you know, quite unique. And I think your, your, your colleague would have probably noticed that as, big, as a big part of our culture. And what that means is that you have product managers and engineers really trying to, to, to solve problems. They, they think about the world in a very different way. They, they look at what problems they can solve in the world, whether they're small problems or big problems. They try to uh, you know, find problems and then build solutions. And that's really how they, they roll. And you know, a, role, a, part, a big part of the role that marketing can play in a company like Google is to sort of bring in those user insights, bring in what the user cares about, bring in you know, what's on the user, user's mind, and really be a champion and a steward of the user and the customer in those product conversations and, and in the, with the product team uh, and, and to make sure that we're building the right features and the right products that will actually really help people and make a difference in their lives. Marvin, what about those lessons? Have they stood the test of time? I think, that, I mean, I haven't been here as long. I've been here 11 years. I think they have. I mean, particularly the second one resonates the most, the wisdom of the crowd. I mean, I think that, you know, at Google scale, when you're trying to improve products, I mean, search is a great example. We run hundreds of thousands of experiments every year to figure out how to improve Google search. We're known as a helpful company that makes things easy to use. And that results all those experiments result in 3,000 improvements to search every year. And I think on the marketing side, same, whether you're looking at how AI is improving the performance of digital media or online videos or testing in focus groups, I think we're always looking for insights and testing data to, to give us an idea of where we're going because so much of what we're doing is new and we're pioneering it. We're recording this episode just before the Super Bowl. By the time our listeners here at the Super Bowl will have run its course. And I so hope the Bengals win, but history will tell, time will tell. You ran an amazing ad, and I would like to just play that ad right now for our listeners. People with darker complexions have always struggled with having good lighting. Every single yearbook photo of mine has been terribly shot since I was a kid. I always show up as too dark or shiny. Cause if you love me, you love all of me. 
everything the light touches. Oh, baby, give me light touches. Wow. That is just, it, it's, it's beautiful to listen to, but it's way more beautiful to watch that ad. It is so visually, visually arresting. Tell us about the origin of that. Why you chose this particular topic, this product, this insight. It's, it's very powerful. And by the way, it's in PNG speak, it's an incredible demo of, of pre, post, before, after. Yeah, well, that's the the incredible demo is is you nailed it there, Jim. I mean, that's that definitely was a focus for us. We'll never run campaigns or advertising that aren't grounded in product, that aren't truly authentic and substantive in terms of the products we build and the role we play in people's lives. And uh, Real Tone, this uh, feature on Google Pixel Six, is just one example of that. Um, and that's typical of the work you've seen us put at places like this on these big stages, like Super Bowl. And the origin story here is a wonderful story. It was, you know, a guy actually in our team, a young African-American guy who had this idea and really wanted to have um, this, this real problem solved. And it's actually a hard problem to solve. It took us years. I think it was about three years of engineering effort to, to solve this problem. In, in, and it hasn't been really solved by anybody else. This is the first time you actually have cameras that can, that can solve for this issue where darker skin tones do not appear well, photograph well with many of the cameras existing today. So, um, you know, a ton of product engineering work that happened behind the scenes leading to uh, building and launching this, this, this technology, this processing technology that allows us to take much better photographs of folks of all, of all different skin tones led to us launching this feature. We got an extraordinary reaction to it. And that's what really led to us thinking, you know what, we should lead with this, not only because it's just a great, a great feature that resonates with people, but because it's really who we are as a company and something we really care about, it's building technology to help others. We want to build for everyone and not leave people behind. And that includes how you appear in some of the most important moments of your life. You know, the photograph, you don't, you don't get to take it again. You got to take that photograph once on your wedding day or your high school football game or your graduation. And if you don't show up well in it, that's the rest of your life. You know, that you're looking at that photograph and, you know, you, you can't see yourself. So we thought it was an important story, an important conversation. We're also very excited about the phone itself. And we thought this was a great way to talk about the phone in a, on a big stage like the Super Bowl. So, you know, for a lot of reasons, it felt like the right, the right step for us. What's the reaction been internally? Have a lot of people internally seen it? I think most, if you have, not too many yet. This week is the week. Um, I think uh, mostly yeah. pride. You know, and I've always said that to my team. Yeah. You know, if we can create work that makes the engineers proud of the products they've built, um, we're onto something. And, um, and that, that really matters to me. I really care about the engineers and product managers who spend years slaving over products and features to see their work shine in, in the work that we create and to really feel proud to go home and share that with their families. I, I hope a lot of our engineers who built this feature are watching the game with their families and just feeling immense pride when we play this because it's their work. All we are doing is shining a light on their, their work. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? 
If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. A larger question about the Super Bowl. This isn't the first time you've advertised in the Super Bowl. You're, you're primarily a digital marketer, of course. I think the bulk of your spending is in digital marketing, but you do choose the Super Bowl now and then. What's your thinking on that? When and why is that an appropriate venue for Google? You're, you're right. You're right. We are digital first. I think about 70% of our spend is digital, but we like to, so we use digital for reach. We think that's the most effective way to reach, to reach a lot of people and also frequency. Um, but we like to create moments through the year um, where we can bring uh, a lot of things together. And, you know, something like the Super Bowl gives you an opportunity to create a moment and then surround sound it. So we'll, we'll put digital, social, and a lot of activation around the Super Bowl moment. In fact, you see many people releasing their ads now a week ahead of the Super Bowl, and they're all doing the same. They're capitalizing on the digital and social currency that the Super Bowl has. YouTube, for example, has YouTube ad blitz. They have, you know, the YouTube team have all the ads curated there. And uh, it's quite interesting, actually, dynamic to see how many of us are putting the ads out ahead of the game, benefiting from that sort of currency, the conversations happening in social and digital uh, around the game, as well as obviously that big moment in the game it's, itself. So and I think there are a few moments through the year where you can where you can do that. And I think it's an interesting uh, you know, opportunity to to really um, you know, create something memorable that people can see. And it's that shared experience still. I think that there are a few moments in the year where you still have that shared experience where people are together, consuming that experience together in that moment. And it's nice to be a part of it. Hey, um, we're talking about marketing at Google. And I want to kind of hill a helicopter up and open the door a bit to what the marketing discipline, the marketing function is at Google. And if you could describe that for us, how is it similar or different to other companies? Lorraine, you were part of the creation of this function. So Lorraine, maybe we'll start with you. Sure. So the way we think about marketing at Google, Jim, is uh, something that we say is know the user, know the magic, connect the two. What we mean by that is really deeply understand our users. We use our products day in, day out, and you rely on our products. Um, bring those insights, their thoughts, their experiences back in to the teams. The product team is building the products. No, the product is really going deep on the product itself and really, really understanding what the products stand for um, and what, what's inside the heads of the products and engineers. Really at Google, to be successful in marketing, you have to crack product marketing. Marvin's actually one of our best product marketers. I think it'd be great to hear him talk a bit about that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, yeah, I'm Jim, to your question, like I think product marketing is like this incredibly unique part of Google that I've never seen before. Having come from Nike, it's something that does not exist. And I think it's this collaboration between marketing where we bring insights, we bring vision and the why of what's going on with product, the product designers, the product engineers, and we kind of work together to figure out what is that thing that we want to build and how, what does that story we want to tell of how it's going to help somebody. So many people, it's so much of what the specialness of what comes out in the world from Google. Of course, it's all technologically amazing, but getting it to resonate emotionally and have that story connect with you and remember it is what's made product marketing such a unique element. It was there a true tone in the early days. Is there in so many of the products we have now? I think it's one of the most unique parts of marketing at Google that you don't see in a lot of other kind of traditional marketing companies. I was just going to build on that. Yeah, I wanted Marvin to talk a bit about product marketing because 
it really is the do not pass go at Google. I've hired a lot of senior folks into marketing at Google. And you, no matter how great you are in some of the more traditional marketing disciplines, like Marcom, storytelling, if you cannot sit down with the product leads and go toe-to-toe with them on their product and really add value as an individual at the table that matters in deep conversations around the product, you're not going to make it in marketing at Google. So it's really product marketing is, 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 is like do not pass go. It's a critical function at Google. On top of that, of course, um, you know, the role we play in the company is also telling the world about our products. So we care deeply about that. And and you know, Google has an awful lot going on. We have an awful lot of products, an awful lot of features. And we, we want more a lot of folks in the world to be excited about using our products, to learn about newer products. Like you talked about Pixel earlier. That's still a journey for us. Um, and to get folks excited about our products. And, and so we've built a, a, you know, I would consider a world-class global you know, execution machine. We can run campaigns now in 100 countries at scale, very performance-led, as you'd imagine, at Google. You know, and we, I'm, I'm proud of what we, we've, we've built in that, in that journey and our ability to, to execute, you know, really um, world-class, high-performance, impactful campaigns at scale uh, uh, across the world. But the third bucket I would say then is storytelling and, and um, you know, being the narrators of the company's story, the narrators of the company's journey. You know, in a in a world of, of of engineers, you know, we are the folks who can you know really really look across the company with that with that unique context. As you know very well, when you're in the CMO job, you, you know you work with every part of a company. You have this extraordinary con, con, context. So so we have the privilege of putting together that that company story and and really you know uh, living that story and bringing that story to the world. I think that's a really really fun and exciting part of the job. So product marketing is the do not pass go at Google. I'm. I'd be curious as how you hire for that, either you know a person coming out of university or someone in mid-career. How do you know that's going to be something they gravitate to, do well, have the attitude and skills to do that? Marvin, I think that there's two ways. I mean, I think we've had a wonderful graduate program called APMN, and we, you know, I think a lot of really smart people that join the company fresh out of college, and I think we train them up. And I think so many of the great product marketers we have at Google came from that program. It's going on, I mean, we're able to, I think, like 10 years, so probably 14 years now at this point. So that's one way. The other way, I think, is, you know, I think we always gravitate towards, towards people who love technology. You know, I think when I talk to an interview and I say, like, what's your favorite app and what do you like about that? I can actually tell by their detail of how you use the app or how they think about it or how the person who made the app is thinking about them and how they describe that gives you a sense of how they'll work with with engineers, how they'll think about a product versus, you know, I mean, I'm sure in your business too, when you talk about different categories like hair care, things like that, how they describe it gives you a sense of, is it in them? Do they have an insight in them or not? And that's one of the ways that I think a lot about it, but it is such a unique skill that it's hard to hire for. And I think, so Google's taken a lot on to train it up. And, you know, I think, you know, the unfortunate, you know, some of the best product marketers in the world come from Google and they, there's a diaspora of them at great companies around the world. So Marvin, what's your favorite app? You teed me up for that. I mean, Google Search is my favorite app, of course. I mean, like it 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 gives me everything I need every day, and you know, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say that too. I was thinking, what do I use most? And absolutely, you know, I'm I'm on ESPN a lot these days, but not not as much as Google Search. So Lorraine, anything to add to that in terms of how you look for people and your criteria? No, I think Marvin really said exactly what I would say around the, the APMM, APMMs and then the, the passion for, for products and technology. The thing I would add is uh, a curiosity, lifelong learner, you know, somebody who's just re- really curious about how things work, who actually, you know, asks me a lot of questions in the interview, who wants to know more, wants to get behind the scenes, uh, really wants to understand and wants to learn. And that 
that generally works extremely well at Google. You know, you really do need to have something to be somebody who's curious, intellectually curious, who's a lifelong learner, who wants to learn, who's got a passion for learning. But it certainly works extremely well when you're close to product uh, and, you know, really, really demonstrating an interest and going deep with them. I was looking at a video on YouTube of you, Lorraine, and it was a marvelous interview at a startup conference. And you talked about the importance of focus and having your top three priorities. So I'd be curious for both of you, what are your top three right now? Wow. Um, yes, we do care deeply about focus at a company like Google, where there's an awful lot going on. Focus, I do believe, is still our biggest challenge uh, and certainly getting my, te my, my team to focus uh, so we can have fewer, bigger uh, uh, wins and, 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 and impact, I think, is important. For, for me right now, I would say, given that we're still fairly early on in the year, it, it, you know, it's, it's leading the team and settling the team on the plan for 2022 while, with a lot of big bets and big, exciting priorities, while also being extremely aware that we are still working remotely, and a lot of folks in the team are are ill right now um, with Omicron and or have family members who are and who are caring for them. And there's still a lot of unsettled people, in, you know, in, in, in the team because of what we're all dealing with. So just trying to get that balance right, I think is a big focus of my of my of my time right now. Um, one of the big priorities within within that would be Pixel. So we just spoke about Super Bowl spot. That is a very big bet for us. Uh, uh, and it is taking up certainly a lot of my time and should do right now in terms of how we go out and you know, tell the world about these great phones that the product team have, have gone and, and done the hard work and built them. And I think a third one would probably be, you know, a lot of work that actually Marvin and I are doing together, and he, he can probably speak better to in, in, in telling the company story. Uh, you know, as you can imagine, we've evolved a lot as a company from the early days, and we've been very product first, but we really feel like in the last few years, we started to pull that sort of story together and have more of a company campaign or a company story. And it's really been uh, uh, Marvin's baby. He sees a lot of me on it <laughs> for sure. No, yeah, definitely one of the one of both Lorraine and I's top three priorities now is thinking about the company story. And I think you know every company goes through this phase, but I think with the changing consumer landscape, I think Lorraine talked about COVID and how pe how people are changing work from home. I think their relationship with brands are changing, and the relate what they expect from Google is changing. And I think both from a product and a relationship point of view. So we're really working with a large swath of the company to think about what is that new story that we want to tell. That's not completely different, but it's an evolution of the helpfulness story we already know today and how helpful we are. And so that's a big focus for us that I think will carry us over the next couple of years in terms of what that new company story is. I think another area that I'm really focused on, we talked about search a little bit, Jim, we appreciate you use the search app, but I think, you know, search is an amazing product that's been around for 22 years, but there, you know, at Google, there's still so much more that we think about. When you think about search as information, all kinds of information you need. We had voice search. We're coming up with new, we call multimodal things like lens. Like how do you get your camera to just look at something and understand and get you the information? What is the right app to use that? I'm sure you're on an iPhone. Like how do we get, make sure you have that power and it's not just about typing text in a box all the time. And I think that is a, a really kind of inspiring thing for me to see where the future of information is going and how it will unlock things for people. And then thirdly, I think for me, you know, it's a little bit of a ways out, but we do a big kind of conference, like I said, in May called Google I.O. It's kind of the state of the union for the company of where we think technology is going, where Google is, where Sundar, our CEO, takes the stage. And I have the privilege of kind of running that. So that is uh, later this spring. So we're obviously gearing up for that and what we want to share with the rest of the world. You have great jobs. You have great top we threes. <laughs> hey, uh, company story, that's something that so many CMOs are struggling with. Now you are a, a, a very broad ranging company. So maybe your, your challenge is more, is bigger than most an opportunity, but so many CMOs are trying to evolve their 
company story because their company is evolving and it's hard. So are there any lessons that you two have learned in telling the Google story, the evolving Google story that would help others? Well, I guess the first lesson um, for me is we didn't really hugely evolve the company story. We've stayed the course, in fact. And, you know, as a company from the early days, we've been very, um, we, we've always been a purpose-led company, mission-led company. You know, we've always been about uh, something that Aaron certainly spoke about, you know, back in 2004 in our very first, first founder's letter was about, you know, building products and services that, that affect the lives of as many people as possible. And, you know, really using technology to solve problems for people. And so we've always been that company. And I think what, we, what we've tried to do is to stay true to that and to sort of really own that and, and, and be that company. Um, and when we, we, we actually, and that was learning one is sort of stay the course, know who you are. I think learning number two is listen to your users, listen to the people who use your product. So, you know, our team, we have a team called Insights Lab. We do a lot of research, talking to users all the time. We run a, a, a thing called, you know, a brand guys where we go out and understand how they feel about us and, you know, um, and what came through in that. And, you know, it's, there's times when it's bumpier and you get lots of, you know, mixed feedback. But what stood alone and has been unshaken over so many years is helpfulness versus all competitors. What differentiates us is uh, we score just way higher than everybody else when it comes to helpfulness. And, you know, that resonated with us. We actually went back and watched a lot of internal speeches and videos by senior folks, especially in product and engineering. And they're using this word again and again, we want to be helpful. We're trying to be helpful, build this because it's helpful. And so the external world and our users are telling us you are, you, you are, you define helpfulness to us more than anyone else. Internally, it turns out it's exactly what we've been saying for so many years. So let's just own that. And, and, and it came out of our, in, our, you know, it came out of our user insights, but it really felt very authentic to us as well. So authenticity, I think is a big learning. You can't, I don't think any campaign can fake this. I don't think a campaign can just go tell a company's story. It has to be the company story. And then you're just shining a light on it. And I think that's where a lot of folks get this wrong as they're trying to craft a story through a campaign versus owning who they are, owning the story, authentically living it, uh, and then shining a light on that story. And I think that's kind of been the journey we've been on. Helpfulness is a marvelous concept and word. And you're right, it is so you. But that's, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thought. It's very inspiring. And there's endless innovation in helpfulness. It never ends. It's a never-ending story. Yeah. 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 You both raised the, uh, the, the, the brand purpose concept, and obviously that's a hot topic in our industry, and I'm happy about that, but it's easier said than done. You have pretty much stayed true in your 24 years to your founding purpose. So I, I would like both of you to talk about the meaning of that purpose to you as a human being. And, and I know both of you have been very proud of how, how your company has stepped up during COVID in the helpfulness space. But I'd just like you both to wax a little bit about the, the meaning of this purpose to you as human beings. Marvin, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, I'll say, you know, I'm relative to Lorraine, I'm, I'm new to Google. And I think that I never really thought about the power of information or helpfulness as a brand, as a job, you know, till I got here. And I really have taken to it that this idea that technology and these things can be so helpful, can be so defining and so leveling the playing field for so many people that that it really has impacted me in that way that I really, it is a calling in, in a lot of ways. And I think it, it never was more true than during COVID. And I think, you know, when I think back to the 
the early, early COVID response work. I mean, it was obviously, it's hard to remember, but it was kind of, a, it was crazy. It was a crisis of information. Nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what it was. No one knew how to get information. And that, in so many ways, was in our wheelhouse. Like, we are a company of information. We are a company that people trust and they turn to in the most vulnerable, the most important moments of their lives making information. And that's when people needed Google the most. And I think at the time, you know, we, we spun up a task force and Lorraine had called me. I remember I was in New York with my family kind of on a mini holiday and it was spinning up. We were enjoying New York because all the restaurants were empty because everyone was, was afraid of COVID. And we, we started this task force. And I remember, you know, right away, the company just had this, this single purpose of unified ability to be like, what can we do to help people, we didn't even know what the problems were. And, you know, we spun up in typical Google fashion, send our announce, like, give us your ideas. And I think in 24 hours, a thousand new product ideas were submitted. And then we had to figure out, like, hey, what do we do with them? And we spun up about a hundred uh, APMs and APMMs, like kind of new talent to create a rubric to score them, create the feasibility. We ended up launching 200 products in the first, I think, 60 days of COVID to help people, like one boxes to make sure you knew the information, like, we um symptom checkers, you know, screeners and things like that. We launched, I was looking back, do the five, like at the time, the five things you had to do, you had to wash your hands, uh, sneeze in your elbow, stay home if you felt sick, don't touch your face, things that are so natural to us now. We were educating people on the core basics back then. And I think it was just Google at its finest moment in so many ways, what the early days were like, because I think we just had this, this true sense of purpose of like, what can we do to help a world going through this crisis. And I think it's, it's one of those moments that I personally will never forget. I remember like briefing the 100 APMs in a car in the East Village, like on my phone. It was the first time we've used a lot of these new tools to kind of get things done. And, you know, it went from, you know, a typical big company getting things done in months, then days and weeks. It was so quick. And I think we were so proud of the work. And, you know, it was just great to be able to have a job where you're like, yeah, we did things that genuinely help people and, and in a lot of ways save lives. Lorraine, you're 20 plus years at Google, so you've been there almost from the beginning. Uh, the, the, the meaning of this purpose to you personally. Th thanks, Jim. Yes, 19th year, um, which it, it went by in the blink of an eye, I can tell you. But it's, it's why I stayed, for sure. It's the purpose and the people. They're the two reasons I'm still there. And I've been working almost 30 years, so I'm certainly at a point where I'm going to be fussy about what I work on. I can tell you, and as a marketer, I think you do your best work when you work on products you truly believe in. I think that's really critical to me. I have to believe that the work I'm doing is making a difference. That's the kind of, that's what I care about at this stage in my career and my life. I'm sure you're the, you're the same. And, um, you know, Marvin spoke so beautifully about what we went through just with COVID in the last two years, which has certainly been quite an extraordinary journey for us as a company, just how we came together. But I've witnessed that all through the years. And we built, I think through COVID, we built on, a legacy of, of, of showing up when technology is needed the most. Um, um, I remember Haiti, I remember Ebola, I remember Katrina, I remember floods in Houston. And, you know, time and time again, experts on the ground, first responders would reach out to us and say, hey, we need a way to connect doctors across all the hospitals. Could Google Sheets do that for us? We need to list where those beds open. Or we need a way to digest extraordinary amounts of information on Ebola quickly and fast. Can you lend us engineers? Or there was a first responder in Houston who just sent a message out to an engineer from Google on LinkedIn and said, hey, I need the access to better capabilities. And can you help me work out how to use your tools? We need to share information across you know, missing persons lists, across the different first responder teams. And we're going to use your tools to do that. Um, and you know, those, those, those kinds of moments, that's across you know, 19 years, I've seen those, those moments. And I think it's, they really, are, they really you know, demonstrate who we are as a company 
and how we show up uh, in, in those kinds of moments, this, this sort of sense of purpose. And by the way, out of all those moments came learnings and new features to make our products better because we needed to make sure that we just didn't fail people. Another example is SOS alerts. So, you know, um, there's fires, for example, anywhere uh, uh, in the country. We'll show that on Google Maps and tell you where you're safe, things like that. So we keep doing this and we keep getting better at that. And I think that, you know, and then we get, you know, we get to, as a marketing team, we get to help um, inform that work too. That's the other reason why I, I, I stay and I really believe in a sense of purpose is that it, it doesn't matter who you are at Google. If you have good ideas, they're, they're, there's a really open door. And that just scared me in the beginning when I first joined because I was, I was this, you know, young woman sitting in Europe trying to give them advice on how to learn, launch their products in Europe. And they were actually listening to me. I remember saying to my family at the time, oh, my God, they're actually listening to me and, you know, following my, my, my advice. And it was actually really scary. So but that's very much our culture. And so you can see you can actually see your direct impact on products. You can see your legacy. You can see, you know, I can look back at all the things that we worked on together and see the impact that I've had. And in the world. And, you know, that's, that's extraordinarily powerful. And it's a phenomenal uh, um, retention tool, by the way, for our team, because they want to stay and work on this stuff. You're both senior leaders at Google. What's one big leadership lesson in staying true to your purpose as a large enterprise? Um, I think the people you hire really matter. And you need to hire people who are purpose led to and who are on this journey with you. And, um, you know, I, 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 you, as a leader, you're only as strong as your bench, as the folks around you. And, and building a purpose-led culture in your organization and in the company is really important. We're lucky to be at a company that has a, a purpose-led culture from the very top, both from our founders, but also from Sundar and his personal story growing up in India. And, you know, he's very passionate about education and making sure the world has access to better education, which is why we built a lot of our uh, tools in the education space. You know, so we have this from the very top, this sense of purpose. And and, and so I think it's really helped us build out teams of people who really get that and who are passionate about that and focused on that. I, I think surrounding yourself with people who share that sense of purpose and working on it together makes it much more uh, effective and much more rewarding. Yeah, I would say too, like just building on that, like just you as a leader have to live it. Like you have to believe. And I think that so many the kids today, young people today, like they see right through it when you're toting the company line or you're just doing something for a reason that you don't actually believe in. And I think, you know, we're lucky to work at a place where there's so much purpose that you can gravitate towards and, and build on. But I think if you don't believe it, people will see through you and you lose all credibility, I think. This is the CMO podcast. You both see more CMOs than from more industries than most people. What makes for a world-class CMO in your view? I think I would start with impact. I think you 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 have to deliver. So I think impact needs to be a big part of how I would define a, 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 a world-class CMO. What's your contribution to the company? What's your contribution to the management team? What success will the company have because of you? When you look back on the year, can you see your contribution to the company's overall success? And so I think, I think impact really matters. I think um, a CMO has an extraordinary view of the company. You know, you work across the entire company. So I think that context and influence you have uh, helps make you uh, uh, a world-class CMO because you can use that to retell really the company's story and to really, you know, create content. You've got you've got a context that nobody else has, and so you can just, you know, you can use that to really, you know, pull the whole company together and almost as a rallying cry or connecting the dots across the company, which I which I think is really important. I think being a chief steward of the company's story and being a chief steward of the company's customers or users and being their champion, I think, is a really important part of of the job. 
it also what makes us unique. It's almost the superpower of marketing in so many ways within a company internally is to really own, you know, who the customer is, who the user is, really know what they care about, know what they want from you, know what their hopes and dreams are, and bring that back into the company relentlessly in every meeting, championing, you know, your 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 customers and your users. And I think that that stewardship of the customer, uh, I think, is is a unique role that, that marketing can play. I think two things I would add to what Lorraine said. I think, you know, there's a big part of being successful of the, the way a CMO builds relationships and credibility across an organization with the most important parts, the heart of an organization. Like at Google, that's product, as Lorraine talked about, like the relationship that she has with products, not just about making ads, but it's about how do we make them better at their job that ultimately makes better product, which ultimately serves our users and builds our brand. That relationship and ability to get things done within a large enterprise, I think is paramount to being a great CMO. The other part externally, I think is really understanding the landscape and how it's evolving, whether it's new trends in, in media, new trends in users, in culture, like understanding that and that you are one part of a user of a, of a consumer's life, that there's a lot of other parts of that. And how do you fit in and relate to that? I think is such an important part to brands today and being a great CMO. What's the most frequently asked question you get from CMOs? I would say a couple. I think there's a couple of questions. One is, uh, how is your team structured? What do you do in-house versus outsource? I think that's a tactical question that comes yeah, up quite fast. Yeah. I think the bigger question would be, how is marketing changing and evolving? What do you see? There's a, there's a belief that we see uh, you know, the trends and that we understand kind of where we're going. And um, that certainly would be, I think, the, probably the, the, the biggest, more strategic question is, what are the trends you see? What do you think is happening in the industry? Where are we all going? What do you say to that, Lorraine? <laughs> well, I think there's a couple of things. I think, I think for for sure, I think we all we've all seen this. COVID's been a catalyst of a transformation that was happening anyway, which is a digital transformation, just in terms of user habits and where to find and reach audiences today. So, you, you know, that's a that's a journey we've all been on. I think COVID's really sped that up, and I think a lot of businesses are, you know, we we certainly see that running to catch up large and small businesses. We've helped a lot of small businesses through and large through through the pandemic as a as a result. You know, for small businesses, for example, their front doors were closed, so they had to open new front doors. Uh, uh, internet became your front door. So this digital transformation is one big area. Where do you find your users today and where are they at? Um, I think also, you know, there's a, a level of technology and marketing today that wasn't there in the past, just getting your head around that. And uh, whether that's machine learning in, in, uh, in advertising and measurement, for example, um, which I think is another big area. And I think transparency, I think um, Marvin mentioned this earlier, but I think values matter more than ever. A sense of purpose, which I know you're passionate about, Jim, really matters more than ever. And a transparency about who you are as a company uh, and what you stand for matters more than ever. You, you know, so so those are, you know, I think we're, we have the shared humanity coming through COVID. And that's, again, why COVID was such an accelerant. You know, I think this was happening anyway. But now there is this, this shared humanity and empathy that that we all need to own and, and be aware of, of where the user is at, you know, where the audience is at when you're trying to reach them. You know, I feel very I feel much more conscious now of what I'm putting out in the world, knowing that where folks are at in the world right now. So I think the work we put out in the way and, you know, it needs to resonate with people, it needs to be relevant and it needs to be true, you know, human uh, uh, and much more values led and transparent about who you are as a, as a company. And it needs to matter more uh, in the world. So, you know, I think that part's harder for folks to get their heads around because it really involves, you know, really thinking soup to nuts about how you think about your story and how you go to market. But I think it really matters because otherwise we're just not, in, not meeting people where their heads are at right now. Marvin, I'm going to give you the last word to build on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, building on what Lorraine said, I mean, I think, you know, where people are, like, they're, we're in a big shift in the landscape. Like, people are reevaluating how they have their lives, their jobs, business as usual. And I think we have to keep pace with that. And I think that creates tremendous opportunity. And like Lorraine said, being intentional about how we connect with people, how we inspire people, how we help people, and, and what we want to say. I think in the messaging and creativity, there's a lot of richness in there that I think people have to kind of get off that business as usual autopilot as a marketer. I think from a technology point of view, like I personally really interested in like when you look at that, that digital acceleration that Lorraine talked about, like where things are going, like TV consumption, like where connected TV is going, what that's going to bring to people who are experimenting a lot. Lorraine also mentioned the role of AI. Like I do think, you know, pre-pandemic AI was kind of in this, in this really sweet spot of, of creating new tools for people. I think post-pandemic, those tools will be different. But reaching people in different ways at different scales or different technologies through AI and ML on the creative side and the media side, I think it's going to be these things that really change how marketers do tell that story and connect with people. And they're just more tools for us to really get that out there in a way that's not in a way that's meaningful to people and not disruptive. This has been a marvelous conversation. I, I can't thank you both enough. I've known your company almost from the beginning. It's just been such an inspiring story for me as a marketer and as a purpose-led marketer to watch this company evolve. There's so many lessons. Thank you for your generosity today, your insights, your honesty, and your humanity. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Jim. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you, Marvin. Three takeaways from this lovely conversation with Lorraine and Marvin. The first one is, this was a lesson in staying true to your purpose and telling your story. And I love how Google never forgets who they are, why they were founded, and this idea of helpfulness, I think is such a powerful concept that you can continually innovate against. So this was a masterclass in purpose. Second takeaway, talent. I love Google's criteria for bringing people in. They're looking for curiosity. They're looking for people who really love technology and want to work with the, with the product people. And they're looking for people who have a strong sense of purpose. Third takeaway, sourcing ideas from your own people. Google does this so well. They, they have this open door policy. Every idea is welcome and they really mean it. They listen to people. When COVID hit, they went to their employee base and said, we need ideas on how we can be helpful. And just thousands of ideas came in and they synthesize that and they act on it. Never forget your employees are your richest source of ideas. They care the most, and they know your company and know your products the best. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.